From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. We now know Clive Palmer spent $84 million of his own money on the last federal election and didn't win a single seat. But his campaign still played a key role in helping elect Scott Morrison. Today, Mike Seckham speaks to Palmer's candidates and explains why our donation system needs reform. Uncle Clive wants you now to join the United Australia Party. It's free, it doesn't cost a thing, but we can marshal our resources right across the country. We know where you are, where to contact you when the time So, is Mike, right. you've been trying to track down some of the people who stood as candidates for Clive Palmer in the election. There are nearly 200 former Palmer candidates around the place who ran at the last election. That's what we mean. Why do you think we're standing in 151 seats across this nation? Because we intend to win. And that's why... But most of them, of course, um, have faded out of public view subsequent to the election and subsequent to Palmer's party, the United Australia Party, winning zero seats in spite of all the money it spent. As I said, my wealth's $4,000 million. Do you think I give a stuff about what you personally think or anyone else I care about this country. So anyway, I tried to find them to uh, see how they'd felt about the experience. Mike Seckham is the national correspondent for the Saturday paper. I started by going online and looking at the um, UAP website, which is still up, but but it exists in sort of zombie form. It appears not to have changed since the election. What matters is Australia. What matters is your children and that they get a better future. And that's what they will get after the 18th of May when the United Australia Party is in government in Canberra. So all the names of the candidates are there and there's only the very sketchiest biographical detail for some of them and no biographical detail at all for most of them. Anyway, one of of the candidates I did track down, his name was Peter Cousin, who ran for the safe Labor seat of Ballarat. He's an electrical engineer and was keen to burnish his credentials as a smart guy. But then he went on for some odd reason to to add that a lot of Al-Qaeda operatives like him were were smart and engineers as well. So I don't quite know what he was trying to convince me of with that. But but anyway, unlike a lot of other UAP candidates, Cousin came in with a bit of a a political history. He'd previously been a member of Pauline Hanson's party, so that was another thing that made him a bit easier to track. He fell out with with Hanson's people. So so anyway, the the story is um, Cousin um, went to the UAP and after an interview, he uh, he was appointed to be the candidate for Ballarat notwithstanding the fact that he didn't live in Ballarat, but lived in Melbourne. So who else did you track down, Mike? Another interesting one was um, was the United Australia Party candidate in Gilmore, which is on the south coast of New South Wales, essentially where the fires were among their fiercest this summer. And uh, his name is Milton Leslight. Um, I'm here tonight because I genuinely believe that our system is broken. And he's a real estate agent and a former councillor on the Eurobidala Shire Council. As far as the party's concerned, naturally uh, Clive Palmer is a colourful individual and uh, very passionate, to be fair, very passionate about Australia. He got 3.38% of the primary vote, so he didn't do that great either. But just like Cousin, he was happy with that. And also, just like Cousin, before the UAP, he was a member of Hanson's party. And he still speaks glowingly of Hanson herself, and he's very admiring of her colleague Malcolm Roberts, most notable for his um, 
absolutely trenchant denial that there is any such thing as climate change. So um, essentially, if I had to sum up Les Light, he, he doesn't particularly love the Liberals, but he likes Labor less and he really dislikes the Greens. So, Mike, the candidates were happy about their time in Palmer's party, even though none of them got even close to getting elected. Well, that's right. Nationally, Palmer's party got just 3.4% of the vote, so they, they did not do it all well. But the broad picture I got was that these people were all pretty happy with the outcome. Cousin got 4.6% of the primary vote. Nonetheless, he said he felt like a winner. And he told me that uh, before the election, he actually said on the record to a paper that if he got 5% of the vote, he would consider it a victory. They were all keen on keeping Shorten out of government. And that was essentially their prime comfort, I guess you would say, in the election outcome, even though they didn't elect a single MP or senator. Despite spending $60 million on advertising, the United Australia Party didn't win a single seat. A bucket load of money was spent, Clive's ads were everywhere, but it didn't achieve anything for his party, but it achieved a great deal for the Conservative side of politics overall. The election was held, that cost us a lot of votes, but improved the government's position. We got 3.5% and 90% of those preferences have flowed to the Liberal Party, so our votes got them across the line. It turns out the Australian Electoral Commission finally, belatedly, released the uh, the figures for donations during the last year's election. And we learnt that uh, Palmer, or more properly his flagship company, Mineralogy, forked out about $84 million of money to fund his own party in its own campaign. At first blush, that seems like a very, very big amount of money to spend for no return. But after the election, of course, Palmer himself said one of his goals wasn't to actually get in and form government, it was just to keep Labor out. I think we've been very successful in suppressing the Labor vote. So like his candidates, he pronounced himself well satisfied with the result. In a nutshell, you might say Palmer spent $84 million in an attempt to buy an election, but to buy it for someone else. We'll be back in a moment. The City of London in Andrew O'Hagan's latest novel is crumbling. But don't mistake this for pessimism. Instead, the author insists it's a necessary process for a better future. Change doesn't just happen because it's time for a change. Change has to be forced. We live in the end not in countries that are settled places. They're just imagined communities. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's Read This, I sit down with Andrew O'Hagan to discuss his latest, Caledonian Road. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with Post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. Mike, you've been looking at how much money was spent on the last federal election campaign since those figures were released last week. Can you talk me through them? Sure. Uh, Overall, the political party spent around $430 million in the election. 41% of that was spent by the coalition parties. Labor spent 28% and uh, Clive Palmer spent 21%. The other roughly 10% was, you know, divided among various minor parties, the Greens, etc. Big spending by Coalition and Palmer in particular being noteworthy. Bill Shorten wants to tax us an extra trillion dollars. Tell Shifty, he's dreaming. As anyone who has um, 
you know, saw the Palmer billboards or heard or saw any of his advertisements during the election, the, the great bulk of that money was spent on anti-Labor advertising. Put Australia first. Vote one, the United Australia Party. Authorised by Clive Palmer for the United Australia Party, Brisbane. One might reasonably suggest you could add Palmer's spending to the Coalition's spending, given that they were both working towards the, the common goal of keeping Labor out of government. So, so when you take that into account, turns out the Conservative side of politics outspent the progressive side of politics by better than two to one in the last election. And that's, that's an unprecedented disparity. Okay, so do you think that that spending made a difference to the outcome of the election? Well, that, that's a good question. And of course, it's, it's hard to definitively answer it. But the imbalance in this election does shed new light on an old debate about the importance of, of money in determining election outcomes. Over the last five federal elections, the winning party was the one that spent more. The, the only exception to that was in 2010, where the coalition outspent Labor, but Labor squeaked back into government. But the, the central question here has always been whether money buys electoral success or whether it follows the likely winner. So, you know, in other words, do big donors look at which party is ahead in the polls and then jump on its bandwagon in the hope that that will buy them influence when, when that party takes government? I spoke uh, to Kate Griffiths, who's a fellow of the Grattan Institute, who did a lot of this analysis. The interesting thing about 2019, as Griffiths points out, is that in this case, Labor had been consistently ahead in the polls right up until the time the election campaign began. So if we were seeing the bandwagon effect, we would have seen much more money flowing to Labor. But in this case, it didn't. Most of the big money, including Palmer's, poured in behind the Conservatives and, uh, and of course, they won. Okay, so it sounds like the evidence points to Clive Palmer perhaps being a significant factor in Scott Morrison's victory. But what does Palmer himself get out of supporting the coalition like this? Well, he, he gets a tremendous amount of influence, I think you'd have to say, because um, they, they will know that he played a major part in a victory and essentially they owe him. Clive Palmer has submitted documents seeking federal government approval for a huge coal mine in central Queensland. It's also worth noting, Palmer has plans to build a huge, I mean huge, new coal mine up in Queensland's Galilee Basin. It will be several times, three or four times the size of the controversial Adani proposal, which is itself an enormous proposed mine. The Alpha North coal mine project would be a series of open-cut and underground mines covering an area of about 144,000 hectares in central Queensland. The company which That means that Palmer has very good reason to back a coal-friendly government. And um, as we've seen since the election, the Morrison government is a very coal-friendly government. So, Mike, what are the, the things that we could use to protect our democracy from the influence of major donors? Well, the, the obvious answer to the problem, as many academics and others who've looked at it have noted, is electoral law reform. But that's not happening. Uh, I mean, there have been many attempts, some by Labor, some by minor parties like the Greens and others who are disadvantaged by this, this big money politics, to get change, and they've all hit the fence. Most recently, in December, Parliament's Joint Standing Committee on Electoral Matters reported back on its inquiry into changes that were proposed in a bill by um, one of the crossbenchers, Rebecca Sharkey, from South Australia. Her bill would have required far more detailed disclosure of where money was coming from, and it would have required it to be reported more quickly and so on. Bottom line is both the major parties rejected it. 
Um, the Greens put in a minority report supporting the bill, but saying that it didn't go far enough because it didn't, quote, impose any restrictions on the source of political donations or the total amount that can be donated. And they said that that was absolutely necessary. Sharkey's people are, as we speak, working on another bill that will address those issues. But um, on past form, you'd have to say it doesn't look very promising of it going anywhere. So I guess the conclusion one has to draw here is that in Australia, government is still for sale to the highest bidder. Mike, thanks so much for your reporting on this. Uh, My pleasure. Thank you for talking to me. This year, the Saturday paper celebrates 10 years as Australia's leading independent newspaper. In that time, it's built a peerless reputation for quality journalism, for telling stories that are ignored elsewhere. It's the essential account of the week in politics, culture and news. When you read the Saturday paper, you don't need to read anything else. Subscribe today from just $2.10 per week. Visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash subscribe. The Saturday Paper. The whole story. Join Richard Tognetti and the ACO for a bold and intrepid 2022. Featuring a live national concert season, their acclaimed on-demand film series ACO Studio Casts, and exciting programs from their new home in Sydney's Walsh Bay. Subscriptions now on sale at aco.com.au. Also in the news today, the South Australian Ombudsman has released a damning report into the state of youth detention. The report found that two teenage detainees were locked in their rooms for more than 22 hours per day and denied humane care. The Ombudsman said that the use of isolation techniques has the potential to increase the likelihood of reoffending. And Parasite has become the first film in a language other than English to win the Best Picture Oscar at the Academy Awards. The South Korean film, directed by Bong Joon-ho, also picked up awards for Best Director, Best Original Screenplay and Best International Feature. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.